Hey, 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 good people. We are live. Let's get some views going. Hey, hey, hey. So sorry about the little delay, but we are live and today is going to be a good one. Real quick, while everyone is uh, tuning in, getting their popcorn ready, let's have, um, let's go over some housekeeping. So as y'all know, we are on all the platforms, YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Prime. Uh, subscribe, like, share, do all of those good things. Um, we are also, the people are blunt people. We have our own IG page. The people are blunt. It's very easy. It's very simple. Go on, holla at your girl, um, like, follow, all of those good things. Um, and last but not least, I have some very dope guests with me this morning. Super excited. Let's go around the room real quick. I'm going to go ladies first because uh, that's just how I roll. Uh, Christine, say hey to the people, boo. Hey to the people. Meet me in the ladies' room. I mean, I agree with you. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yes. Um, I'm Christine De La Rosa. I'm the CEO and founder of the People's Ecosystem. Thanks for having me. Awesome. 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 Uh, Andrew, say hey to the people. Hey to the people. Uh, Andrew Klein, co-chair of the Cannabis Practice at Perkins Coie. Awesome. And y'all have seen Andrew before. He is... Um, no stranger to the people and talking bluntly and a new guest that we have not had on, but we are happy to have with us, Adam, say hey to the people. Howdy people. Uh, Adam Gores. I'm in Denver, Colorado, uh, formerly a progressive and democratic political, uh, operative and activist. And now, uh, for a long time now, a, uh, executive and also a partner in, uh, the cannabis company, uh, formerly known as Columbia Care, and also the uh, the co-chair of the Coalition for Cannabis Scheduling Reform, uh, why we're here to talk today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, let's get into it, uh, because on Friday, uh, the Times released that these documents, it was over 255 pages, right, of... Um, a release in terms of the HHS's decision on why cannabis should be rescheduled to a three. And I know my timeline, like your timeline, and probably anyone who is affiliated with this space, your timeline was popping off, right? Whether it was LinkedIn, IG, Twitter, Facebook, everybody, the mamas, the papas, the aunties, everybody was like, what is this? What is going on? So uh, first, I want your initial thoughts on this release. Um, Christine, I'll go to you because you even tagged me. I was playing with the kids and you was like, girl, did you see this? And I was like, hold on. Well, actually, I don't go on uh, LinkedIn normally on Friday. And for some reason, I went on and my first top post was Andrew Klein. Game on. And I was like, what the hell just happened? And so I went and read it and I literally texted our entire team on a Friday night. I was like, oh my God. And I started reading it. I posted um, a TikTok about like what that meant to me. Um, it was super exciting. I have not, just to be clear, gone through all 255 pages. I'm still working through it. There's a lot of technical stuff in there that I don't understand. But I was ecstatic. And I know that a lot of people are like on the fence. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I think it's just a thing. I don't think we have to consider it good or bad. It's a thing that's happening. So now how are we going to respond as an industry yeah. and a community? So that's how I was feeling. I was feeling like, oh my God, because I'm a medical patient, as you know. And I'm like, 
they're acknowledging that it's medicine. Yeah. They've never done yeah. that before. We've done that, but they've yeah. never done that before. So it was a really exciting night for me, actually, <laughs> which I was yeah. not planning to do any of that, but I ended up doing all of that. Andrew. Mr. Breaking News, right? Like you, you, you saw it. You posted. Uh, initial thoughts for you? Yeah, I'm going to answer your question, but I <clears throat> and I'm not going to screen share because I'm not technically uh, uh, enabled. But um, it, it didn't get lost on me that this is my fourth time being on the People Is Blunt, and if you're on Saturday Night Live and you're hosting, the fifth time. You get a really nice plush velour jacket with a nice big five. Wow. And so I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing it out there that like if I'm appearing again, I'm kind of hoping for like a nice, nice velour jacket. We'll see. First um, of all, my bad, because you had a screen share and we were talking <laughs> offline and I totally, uh, totally forgot to allow you to do that. But uh that velour see here's the thing we're a small cannabis owned business and this is why this reschedule matters so much in terms of 280e because then maybe we can have some funds yeah. to get you a velour you and our fifth guest velour yeah. jackets yes you need some swag <laughs> um look i think this was incredible news um i think this is you know First of all, the first time that um, the U.S. government has recognized medicinal value of cannabis, um, that's historic in and of itself. Um, finding that the abuse potential is less than drugs in schedules one and two um, and comparing it to alcohol um, and, and, and showing indicators that it's safer than alcohol, really big deal. Um, <clears throat> it's not lost on me that, you know, this came from this. This was started by Joe Biden, who you know, in the nineties wasn't, uh, was, you know, was, was tough on crime. Right. And, and so uh, it's, it's just incredible to see the progression uh, and, and progress um, to where we are now, uh, where the president of the United States has initiated a process that's going to um, really be the first piece of major incremental reform in cannabis. Yeah. Anna, Adam, excuse me. I want to go to you and I want to start digging in. So your initial, thoughts on the release but kudos again to joe biden to this administration for finally acknowledging what we've all known for a very long time um i'm going to put that to the side and again lots of kudos i'm also just going to point out like this is as much as far as they can go in this process um for all of us that want to see descheduling that is where we're going to get to uh, this is going to be a stop along the way, but without Congress acting, this is the most the administration can do on their own. And I think it's born through the 250 pages of data. We're not to say that there's no abuse potential in cannabis. There's a lot of reasons, right? People don't consume cannabis at all times. Uh, why 20, you know, adults, uh, we look to, to consume cannabis in adult use markets. It, you know, the idea to be descheduled through this process would require to say that, uh, you know, there's no intoxicating effects to it. And, and I, it, we all know that's not the case. Why is tobacco and why are tobacco and alcohol not scheduled? It's because they were legislatively exempted. And that's why we need descheduling so that we can put the plant in the same and equal footing as that. Um, so this, I think, just a, a major step on that process or that process um and progress um and again kudos to the administration there's still a lot of work to be done uh to come ahead 
Um, we all know that there are a lot of folks that, um, you know, do not recognize what 85, 89% of Americans do, which is medical cannabis should be legalized. Uh, the 70% plus that agree that adult use cannabis should be legalized. So, uh, you know, the coalition that I help run, the Coalition for Cannabis Scheduling Reform that's been working on this and instrumental in moving this forward with the Biden administration and, and lucky to have Andrew Klein um, as our senior counsel and, and really a co-founder of that effort. We get back to work dissecting this um, and engaging with the DEA um, going forward uh, so that we can get uh, this rule, the Schedule 3, uh, proposed and then finalized so that companies big and small um, can benefit from this reclassification. So, so a couple of things you said that like I want to throw out to the group. So the first thing is um, this being the first time right? That the federal government is acknowledging medicinal values of this plant. And I'm like, going back in my mind to like Nixon, right? And like all of the studies, like these are taxpaying dollars, right? That are going to um, studies of shit that we already know, right? And like stuff that was essentially ignored, right? Am I correct in that? Because I remember when Nixon like first put it to a schedule, first put it to schedule one, there were a number of studies and there was like one out of it that was like, oh, this is bad. Yeah. No, as a matter of fact, his staff um, recommended that marijuana not be in schedule one and, and he ignored it. He did it for political reasons and for racist reasons, not for um, scientific reasons. There, there was no science behind putting marijuana in schedule one in the beginning. Yes. Yeah. So that's the first thing I want. I just want to like make sure that history is clear that the government has always known that there were medicinal values to this plant. OK, now them doing this because of Biden's request or Biden's order is I think to your part, Adam, it's like this is just the trans. Like this is just how it has to go. This is the transaction. Um, but this is not new. Right. OK. Now, why the article mentioned that an attorney, Matthew Zorn from Texas, actually sued for this 255 pages to be released. Why would someone have to sue for this information to be made public? Like HHS already came out and said that they were recommending that cannabis be put to a schedule three or be rescheduled. So why was why was all of this not like released in the first place? I'm, I'm happy to take that one if, if helpful. Um, but I, can I just put a finer point on something that Adam said first? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of Internet traffic about, oh, the president should, you know, deschedule. You know, the president hasn't done enough. Um, and Adam mentioned this, but I, I just want to put a finer point on this. The, the president does not have the power yeah. to deschedule cannabis. I mean, it's sort of weird when you think about it, because when you think about the president of the United States, you think, oh, my gosh, like it's the president of the United States. They can do whatever they want. He's, they not, Putin. He's not Putin. He's not Putin. He's not. But, you know, it he, Biden um, does not have he, he, Biden's going to do what he's allowed to do. Right. 
through through uh, through Congress. staffing. And yeah. The Administrative Procedure Act provides two ways to deschedule or reschedule cannabis. One of them is legislatively, and one of them is administratively. And we're in an administrative process. And to Adam's point, the the only way to to uh, deschedule cannabis through administrative process is to find that there's zero abuse potential. And that's just was never going to happen. Congress can say that Con- or Congress wouldn't even need to say that Congress can just deschedule cannabis for no reason. Um, but the president can't. So I just want to make sure people are clear on that, that Biden did everything he could. He could yeah. do. Um, you know, look, uh, there's a there's Matt Zorn is one of the smartest lawyers I've ever known. And I work for a twelve hundred person law firm. We've got a lot of smart lawyers and he is cream of the crop. He's, you know, Columbia Law School, super smart. Um, but he's also, he's a litigator. And that's, that's the way his brain thinks. He, he's like, I'm going to sue like at any, <laughs> any opportunity, you know? And so, <laughs> you know, I think in this case, he filed a four-year request, um, Freedom of Information Act. And the government, he's been having some challenges at DEA, getting them to provide documents to him on psilocybin and, and psychedelics, Generally. And so, you know, he's been fighting that FOIA battle where the federal government will say like, well, this was a deliberative process or this was a, um, you know, law enforcement sensitive. So so, yeah. there, so when you FOIA something, you know, you you might get it or the, the agency might come back and say, here is a statutory exemption from this yeah. FOIA request. And so that's what they were doing. And so he sued them. And it's not the first time he's, he sued the DEA. Uh, excuse me. This is the first time he sued HHS, I think. He sued the DEA multiple times. Um, and, you know, the federal judge had to say, like, no, actually, none of these exemptions apply. You've got to you've got to produce this. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's when it came out. I sort of, I guess, wish that, you know, we had had it, you know, for a little bit of time before it went public. Um, but it was a public service. Like, we, we you know... Um, for those of us who are digging deep in, into that document, like I'm glad we have it now, rather than um, yeah. rather than when the DEA rule comes out. And then just one other point: HHS never never said anything about this. Bloomberg leaked that HHS got to Schedule Three, but HHS has never said anything about it. They only spoke through this court case. And you'll note that they didn't post this, as far as I know, on the Federal Register. They just gave it to Matt Zorn. Um, as part of the litigation, and he he gave it to the New York Times. So, yeah, thank you for all those points of clarity. Um, and uh, shout out to Matthew Zorn uh, for getting the information to the people because transparency is definitely needed with this. And I mean that kind of brings me to um, the correlation, or at least when you look at a lot of regulation, you have alcohol and tobacco like always being paired with cannabis. I want to get uh, I want to get y'all thoughts on this because the New York, the Times piece mentioned um, physical psychological dependence, which I think can apply to anything, right? I, I feel like you know people can you know be um, physically dependent on you know water, right? And too much of anything is not good for us. But I want to get into like what are your thoughts in terms of handling some of those arguments, right? We know that. Um, I think, Adam, you pointed on this earlier that, listen, anything, cannabis included, has the potential for dependence or has the potential to be abused. Yeah. How do we um, how do we plan to 
kind of target uh, that narrative. Uh, Christine, I'll mm -hmm. go to you first on this. I mean, I think we have to target it in many different ways, right? And from many different groups. I think a lot of times in the cannabis industry, we're very um, tunnel vision um, because of our companies and what we're wanting to do, you know, commercially, right? But I think our biggest that we have to get the consumers involved with the advocacy that we're doing as companies or as, you know, um, uh, advocacy groups. Um, and so when I think about this, I think about my biggest thing is the advocacy of people who use this for medical reasons, not just wellness, but literally very difficult medical reasons. And so when I think about how they're always trying to pair those together, what we know, you know, anecdotally, is that this works for people who have autoimmune diseases, me, people who have cancer, people who have anxiety, people who have ADHD, it works for us. I think it would be behooven to us is to, as a consumer group, to really start to gather all of our people and go to the government and say, stop trying to have an equivalency between something that kills people, addicts people, ruins their liver, gives them very painful deaths, and a plant that allows me to sit here today. There's a difference. And we have to say that as consumers, because they're not going to trust us as businesses. Or they're going to be like, oh, you're just trying to get it because you, you want to be able to get high. Oh, you just want to do that because you want to. No, we're using it not only to get high, which I'm not mad about, but we're using it because it allows us to exist in a world where I don't take 11 pills and you don't get sick after you get your chemo treatment and you don't have anxiety so much that you can't leave your house. And I think this is the biggest thing is that we're going to have to, as businesses, engage our consumer base so they understand what they would lose if we don't get this because if we don't get this they lose a lot of access and that's my thing when i first started talking in 2018 i was in new york and i remember people would write me and they'd be like how can i get you know what are you taking how do i get it and at that time new york had a terrible medical thing so they couldn't get anything and i had to tell them brokenheartedly i can't help you i know how to help you i literally cannot help you so I think that that's what we've got to do as consumers. Start to stand up and be like, stop doing this. You're wasting my time. You're wasting my health. So Adam, I want to go to you, right? Because you are um, with the formerly known uh, Columbia Care, but you're with the MSO. Um, and a lot of times MSOs are put in this light as like the big bad wolf. Um, I want to talk to you about like what role should and will um mso's play in this battle and especially what christine was saying in terms of the care making sure that we don't have the same way we think about food deserts we're thinking about access but how yep. this like the role that this plays in terms of access overall you know i i think one that we talked just to get to the financials is we talk about a rising tide lifts all boats What's interesting is that small operators are the one that are going to get lifted the most. Um, and that's uh, because when this is rescheduled to three, it removes 280E, which makes it uh, difficult to impossible for cannabis businesses to deduct their common and ordinary business expenses, unless you're vertically integrated. So uh, MSOs primarily are vertically integrated in these markets, meaning that they're 
growing, processing, and yep. you know, dispensing cannabis <laughs> gives them an ability uh, to minimize some of that taxation that's going to go away here. It's actually small businesses that are a delivery operator or just operating dispensaries that get smacked the hardest by 280E. So I think you could say that rescheduling to three and the loss of 280E is good for MSOs, but you can also say much more emphatically, it's amazing, it's great for small businesses, particularly as we look to New York and New Jersey and, and Maryland to come now, places where social equity programs are trying to give uh, you know new opportunities and restricted uh, and exclusive opportunities to social equity businesses, the problem that they're running into is access to capital, if you hear this. And yes, it's because the cannabis industry is tough, but the biggest reason is a lot of those businesses don't add up on the bottom line. They lose money if you want to open up a single dispensary. I'm actually a partner in a dispensary, um, a small partner, and I got to tell you, with 280 taxation, we lose money. Um, and so... I think this is going to be a really great opportunity to help broadly the entire industry. And yes, MSOs are not going to hurt because of this, but they're not going to be the biggest beneficiaries too. And just to really just tag on to that, that's a true statement. As a small business owner myself, where we have, you know, we have um, licenses in a few states, we are looking forward to that. We are looking forward to having a bottom line that reflects our actual profitability. Because what 280E does is it makes it look like we're losing money. Um, and you have to explain that to every investor that gives, you know, invests in your company. Like, we look like we're losing money, but if we get 280E removed, we see this huge pop of net revenue or, or net profit. Um, so I agree with that. Like, that's the very first big thing. And I think about all of my friends in the cannabis industry that are smaller operators. Um you know, it's something we talk about all the time. So to have that rescheduled and to lift the burden, um, especially in 2023, um, really opens up a lot of capital, even from smaller investors, right, who don't understand how cannabis works. I just spoke to somebody recently, and they were like, so you really can't deduct your, mortgage, your, your rent payment? No. You really can't deduct your payroll? No. You know, like, they think it's crazy, yeah. but the majority of people who would invest in the smaller companies, which are your communities, right? Communities, everybody, you know, everybody wants to be an investor and even smaller computers, even if you do a crowdfund, right? That you still have to explain to them, 280E is gonna make sure that we don't make any profit until that's removed, then we will have profit and it will be exponential compared to what we were getting before. So I think that that's a really important note that Adam's putting there, like it's a huge deal for companies and especially companies run by women, companies run by people of color, companies run by black people, it will make a huge difference to our bottom line and our ability to raise capital. Yeah, yeah. And that's an immediate thing, right? Because when we, you know, you see the arguments in terms of pro and con, right? And like, one of the cons is like, well, this is going to open it up for pharma, or it's going to make it more difficult for for brands and products to, you know, to go out because now they're going to be held to this pharmaceutical standard, and they're going to be lost in the red tape. But I, I think we really do have to um, have conversations about like short, long term. We have to have conversations about like those who are drowning right now, and also the fact that like pharma has buku money, 
You know what I mean? Like pharma does not care about 280E, you know, in terms of uh, making sure that we educate those who are in decision-making positions around uh, not allowing product development to get caught in red tape. Like that's something that we can influence, right? Like that's a part of the process that we can influence. But this idea about pharma being the big bad wolf, right? Or even MSOs being a big bad wolf, we really have to look at like people are drowning right now. And when we're thinking about small businesses, we're thinking about craft products. We're thinking about those who, um, you know, your net worth is your network and they may not have a network of millionaires and how are they going to survive? Not, you know, how are they going to thrive? Right. How we get to that point. This is necessary, right? Like 280E relief is necessary. Um, I want to touch on another point, right? Because I feel like rescheduling, scheduling to a three has a couple of big pieces. One is the, re the removal of 280E, right? I think the other piece is opening it up for, um, for research, for studies to be done, right? And I think that that kind of goes to the point that you made, Christine, about bringing consumers in. Because in my mind, we have to expand ailments that are accepted under medical um, conditioning, if you will. So if you have anxiety, that should be under it. I know right now in, in Illinois, they're fighting for certain ailments for women, you know, fibroid issues and things of that nature to also become um, acknowledged in, 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 in under medical ailments. So what are y'all thoughts on that? And just in terms of like expanding the scope of what is considered medicinal, because you have that range, right? You definitely have cancer. You definitely have, you know, um, your chemo, your, your autoimmune disease. Like you definitely have that, but there are other uh, ailments as well that should be recognized. Yeah. I, I think what's I think one part that's interesting on this is you know this this shows that there's medical utility right if I'm understanding where discussions heading here that it has medical utility right it doesn't make it an approved drug um, also rescheduling to three if pharma wants to come you know get involved in the cannabis industry they can already heck they already have that's how they created Marinol as a uh, which is a schedule three correct me if I'm wrong anybody um, drug that synthesizes THC how Epidiolex was created um, as an approved drug. And so that that option's already already been there for pharma and it will continue to be there for pharma in the future, whether it's schedule one, schedule three, or descheduled for that matter. So, um, you know, I think we can kind of put the pharma piece to the side and really focus on that this is going to benefit the, I think the broader medical community, I'm not a physician, but I've worked with a lot of them and researchers in my eight years in the cannabis industry. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest problems is there's stigma attached to cannabis. And I think that leads to, you know, disparities in the access to, to cannabis, health equity um, in it. And I think it's going to be a big shot in the arm uh, for uh, people to be able to better access it uh, because physicians are going to be more likely um, to recommend it to folks. And I think then, you know, with the loss of 280E is going to make businesses more sustainable. I think we're going to see more product lines. I think we're actually going to see as part of 280E going away too, 
lower prices for consumers because you know a tax cut just to get all economics on us you know tax cuts go yes we, companies will benefit big and small from part of it but also consumers will too and i think one of the other reasons without insurance coverage um which i think we're still quite a few steps away um that's that old pharma discussion is we are we really need lower prices to be able to get in the hands of the people that need it most and if you're going to go down to the store and for a five dollar copay for opioids or potentially to be able to use a, a real cannabis medicine produced by somebody that uh you know knows what they're doing has a lot of intent to help folks the price comparison just makes it so that people can't access it so i think all this change is going to go a long way towards uh improving that and I'm, I, it just it, it gets me so excited i mean oh, oh go ahead christine from a medical perspective one of the things that we do as our company is that we always encourage people to get their medical card right the medical card yeah. becomes really important because of <clears throat> Adam is just talking about, about pricing, right? How much things are priced. If you have a medical card, yeah. you don't pay as much taxes, right? And yeah. imagine if we understand as a company that we are gonna have some flexibility in terms of the taxation, we can also lower those costs for medical patients, right? We used to do this in Oregon where we would have companies come in and you know donate and then we'd give that out for a penny for people who really needed to have their medical cards. Yeah. So there's a huge swath of change that happens and an ability as companies to change if we are just giving a little bit of relief. And I agree with Adam, pharma could have come in whenever they want. There are trillions and trillions of dollars across the world. They didn't have to wait for rescheduling. So I think that a lot of times when I see people talking about that, I really look at it as clickbait, right? They're like wanting to get people riled up. They want people to be mad so they can be like, yeah, yeah, no, this is the wrong thing. If any advocacy yeah. group that you're part of is doing that, stop them right now and tell them, how are you working to benefit me to get the best type of regulation that I can get? Because if you're part of an advocacy group that does that, they are not working for you. They are not advocating for you, whether you're a recreational user or a medical user. That is the wrong approach because it's not going to do anything. Well, and because it's not actually an approach, I think Andrew kind of touched on this earlier and it may be worth even um, saying again though, but I've never seen, I've never seen um, regulation uh, or I've never seen rules change uh, and make a whole 180, meaning that they're not going to go. There's not a path to go straight from schedule one to deschedule, right? I think, Andrew, you mentioned earlier that like the president has done what he can do or what that office can do there were two roads right and and so by him issuing that order he has done like from that executive branch what he can do right um and i don't know if you want to go into that but the, the other thing i would just say is that like cannabis needs a win right and we all we have to be realistic in how we chip away at the iceberg right and so this is a way to do that and this is a yeah. this is a pretty big chip or would be a pretty big chip especially for the day-to-day -day concerns that business owners have and so andrew if you can just reiterate i want to i want to go back into that real quick in terms of 
the path because we know that there is going to be um, a public hearing. We know there's going to be com a comment period once the DEA um, does release their standing. And so like, let's just kind of actually talk about this process here, this timeline um, and opportunities, as Christine was saying, for community to engage and for businesses and associations to engage. Yeah, there's going to be ample opportunity and I hope people will take advantage of it. <clears throat> and I'll, I'll talk about that process. But, um, you know, I think, Frederica, you and Christine just hit the, the nail on the head. And that is, <clears throat> you know, this is incremental reform. Um, we all want descheduling. Every, every one of us on this call, I guarantee you, wants descheduling. But we're also realistic. Um, and we've got a Republican House Speaker who is not a friend of marijuana. And we've got, you know, a rule in the Senate that requires 60 votes. And so, and we've got, you know, two wars and a disagreement on the budget and a disagreement on the border. Like the notion that we're going to pass a descheduling bill in this Congress is like laughable. It's not going to happen. And so, you know, we're left with the choice. Like, do we embrace incremental reform or do we walk away from it? And if you're, if you're an advocate, you know, I understand that, you know, this isn't the, the, the golden goose for you and you want to advocate for descheduling. I get that. But if you're if you're in business at all, like any kind of ancillary business or a plant touching business, you got to see that this is this is a win and you got to say that out loud. And there's an opportunity to say that out loud during this public comment period. And so here's how it's going to play out. Um, DEA will um, will issue a, a draft rule. And we're waiting with bated breath every morning we wake up and we look at our you know, text to see whether whether the rules come out. Um, and, you know, but when that rule com comes out, we'll have 60 days to file public comment. And we are organized <clears throat> within the coalition that um, Adam mentioned. You know, Adam started this coalition back in November, a month of 23, a month after the president made this announcement. And we brought together, you know, lawyers and public policy experts and doctors and scientists and a wide variety of, of cannabis experts um, and businesses. Um, and we've done a lot of works, you know, since then, but we, we are committed to filing scientific based public comments um, once the, the rule is issued. Um, and the, the reason that matters is because right after the rulemaking, um, there will be an ALJ hearing, an administrative law judge hearing. And the only evidence that will be admissible in that hearing will be evidence that's in the public record. And the only way you get in the public record is if you file public comments or you happen to you know, testify in front of that ALJ hearing. That evidence will be compiled by that ALJ judge and will be presented to the administrator of the DEA who will make the final decision. And so we need to make sure that we have all the evidence in front of that AL, ALJ judge about abuse potential, about um, medical use, um, about the impact on black and brown people, on the impact on public health and safety, all of it um, needs to be in front of them so they can consider it um, and support what we hope is gonna be a schedule three determination by FDA. Um, if people are interested in participating in that process, I would welcome anyone to reach out to us. Um, and you know we're we're coordinating other groups. 
who want to file public comments. We're editing their work if they want us to. We're, you know, helping them figure out how to actually file it if they want us to. What, whatever help you need, we can provide. Um, and we have some, you know, we, we put a lot of thought into this. Um, so, you know, the public comment period is super important. It's limited to 60 days. Uh, so people need to, like, roll up their sleeves when that rule comes up. I just yeah. want to ask, um, because I'm one of those people, when you say we, who's the we, how do we get a hold of you? Because I'm like, yeah, I can start galvanizing a ton of medical patients. Let's write our stories. Let's get this together. Because, you know, I don't have access to that. I mean, oh, well, I have access to Frederica, which is awesome. Um, she writes all of our policy stuff, but like, she's really busy, like really, really busy. So like, if you're helping people do that, tell them how to get a hold of you so that they can put their comments and you can add them. I mean, all comments. Good, bad, ugly, whatever. Comments are comments. We want to show that this is a fever of people who want to get this done. And yeah. even if it's somebody who's like, rescheduling's not enough, descheduling, say that too. I'm okay for you, you to say that. But like you said, there's no pathway to descheduling. There's none right yeah. now in the current Congress. So like, we can go around boohooing and being like, oh my God, it's not descheduled, which I want it to be like everybody else. Or we can go like, how do we get the best deal that we can get right now yeah. with what we have in front of us? So please let us know how to get in touch with you. Even if it's not now, we'll put it posted um, on, on the LinkedIn, but man, that's such a great opportunity and a great service. So thank you for that. Yeah, you can, you know, you can just email me directly. It's aklein at perkinscooey.com. Um, Klein, like Kevin, not Calvin. Um, and you know, we're, so we're just by way of example, we're coordinating a group of doctors. We've got, I don't know, 12 or 14 doctors who are in the cannabis industry, you know, um, some of them working for companies, some of, you know, as chief medical officers, some of them not. Um, but we've got a lot of work to do. I mean, there have been tens of thousands of studies that have come out since 2016 that we're you know going to be combing through. And we were actually, Adam and I were on a call earlier today talking about, you know, really honing in on pain because um, that is really important, right? So, um, you know, feel free to email me. We can get you plugged in. If, if you'd like to participate, we'd love to have you. And for people out there, he said, you know, pain. I, I'm a sufferer of pain. I used to take five different opioids to manage my pain back in the day um, with fentanyl patches being the most exciting one that I got to use not. Um, but anyway, uh, I think pain is a really great place to start because for me, at least pain stops me from doing everything. Pain stops me from living. And so to me, that has been the biggest plus about cannabis in my life is to get rid of the pain, which I suffer from every day, but not when I'm using my cannabis regimen. So if you're somebody who suffers from pain, who has to take opioids to manage that pain, please reach out because we want to be able to get your story to the right people and yeah. those comments in because we cannot be we cannot be an entire com country ruled by pain it's not yeah. anything yeah and this is you know this is what so i don't know if you guys saw this but 12 attorney generals wrote a letter uh, last yeah. week um, and the reason that they wrote that letter is because people are using opioids and alcohol to to manage their pain yep but we actually have a safe regulated marketplace you know, we test our products. We have age verification. We have packaging and labeling standards. We have track and trace. The illicit market doesn't have that. And the hemp derived products certainly don't have that. Nope. And alcohol is killing a lot of people. You know, I'm sure you guys know my, my brother died at 37 of an alcohol overdose. I don't know one study that's shown one death attributable to, to marijuana ever. Yeah. yeah. And even issues with it, right? Like even when you have, uh, you know, once 
So this is another thing in terms of studies, right? We have to make sure that context is given because once states regulated, then there was an uptick in people feeling comfortable enough going to emergency room saying like, oh, maybe I overconsumed, not really knowing what's going on. And so those numbers have like skewed different reports in terms of um, issues associated with cannabis consumption and or the fact that it may have been cannabis with something else. So we have to make sure that um, that's another reason why we have to make sure that one, these studies that the purpose of the studies and the information that is gathered on these studies, that is, it's really understood. Uh, and two, that people are sharing, people are sharing their experiences and that they feel safe and that we remove the stigma so that you can actually consume in a safe way, that you actually feel comfortable with going to a um, to a retail location and talking with bud tenders or talking with people who are educated on the plant and can help make sure that you have the best experience that you can have. Um, real quick, I want to plug. So, a, so at Andrew, we plugged your email. You're going to be very busy. People, <laughs> make sure you share your stories. I'm, with I'm already like, oh my god, should I have done that? <laughs> Listen, hey, uh, you did it. We love you. Thank you. Uh, Coalition for Cannabis Scheduling Reform. You're also at schedulingreform.org, correct? That's right. That's where you can right. find us. All right. So let's plug that as well. Um, real quick before we go off of um, the, the timeline and just the explanation that you were going into, Andrew. So the HHS released um, or made their um, released their decision, right, based on their findings. How often... Uh, has the DEA either agreed and or went against a ruling or a decision that has been made by the HHS? So statutorily, DEA has to accept the science from FDA and HHS. That, that okay. is written in statute. There's sort of this weird nuance that even though they have to accept the statute, they don't have to accept the scheduling recommendation. Okay. To my knowledge, DEA has never questioned FDA's scheduling recommendation. Um, now, DEA is a law enforcement agency. They're not a public health agency. And this is not a law enforcement issue. This is a public health and safety issue. This is about, you know, whether or not our products are safer than the opioids and alcohol that's killing hundreds of thousands of people every year. That is what it's about. And so I will be very surprised and like incredibly disappointed and will be <clears throat> asking the cannabis industry for money to sue if we don't get to schedule three, because there's no reason why they should question this decision. Like this was, this decision was made by our leading health agencies, FDA, HHS, and NIDA. Like how could a law enforcement agency question that? And if you, if you don't question the science, then you have to accept the schedule placement because if, if the science leads you to, to schedule three, it clearly doesn't lead you to schedules one or two, right? It's not, cocaine or fentanyl or heroin. So it must be schedule three or lower, meaning the number has to be higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but so this is an election year. But this is an election year, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah. And we know, we know the numbers in terms of bodies that are right now in prison um, because of cannabis-related offenses. 
and mm -hmm. we know that our prison industrial complex makes money. So I hear yeah. what you're saying in terms of this not being in a for law enforcement issue, um, but we just got to be real, right? Like we gotta we gotta call a spade a spade. So how? So I guess do, do we go back to that public comment period where yeah. like people need to make sure that their voices are being heard and that. Lord forbid the DEA tries to come with some bullshit. It's like, hey, we we need to call it out. And so, we see you. We see you. If DEA comes out and says, we're not doing anything, we're leaving it schedule one, there will be no public comment, period. It's okay. only if they change the schedule. And so um, what we need to do is to, is, I mean, this is crazy to say this out loud, really insane. But we have to have DEA's back. If if they come out with a Schedule Three recommendation, as ironic as it is, like we need to come out and support the DEA in their decision. That's what has to yeah. happen. Well, and I think in this case, supporting the Schedule Three, supporting that decision is is supporting ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Is is basically like a help me help you, or what like women do sometimes, like allow other people to feel like is their idea. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah. Absolutely. We should definitely do that. You're right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, as we're talking about this whole enforcement thing, um, this, this just kind of hit me. So a lot of states, especially New York, right, um, are really trying to tap into like squashing the illicit or the legacy market. Right. Um, and, and comments that y'all made earlier really kind of honed in on like, to me, if I'm thinking about legacy operators coming over into the regulated space, then I have to think about incentives. I have to think about it making sense for them. And with the taxation that we have right now because of 280E, it doesn't make sense for legacy operators or make sense for consumers because why would I pay $60 for an eighth at this retail spot when I can get it from my weed, man? For twenty dollars or thirty dollars, yeah. I'm just saying. Well, there's a, yep. there is, and that is, you know, I just had this conversation um, with my neighbor who just turned twenty one, and he was asking me about cannabis, and I said, look, he, he asked me whether I would take him on a dispensary tour, and I said I'd be happy to do that if you promise me you're going to buy your weed from dispensaries because you have no idea if you're buying it from a friend or someone's gifting it to you, like where it's come from. Is it sprayed with fentanyl? Does it have heavy metals in it? Like. You, people need to be consuming from the regulated market to be safe. That's that's just a fact. Yeah, yeah. But so one is a fact, but we also have to, and we talked about this early, right? Like theory to practice, look at the reality. And the reality is if I've had someone, if I've had a weed man for 20 years or 10 years, then I'm, I'm, I'm looking at what they're producing or I'm trusting that more than what I may even trust in a, uh, a regulated or retail location. Right. And so, and also I know that quality and I know that person and I have a relationship yeah. there. Um, so yeah. we have to factor all of those things in. And I think a part of what we, what we're pushing to do as we are removing this stigma is like normalizing cannabis place in society um, and also making it comfortable for people to have these conversations and for uh, people to actually operate um, 
in the business, in that business frame. And can I just say something really quickly? Um, I, I just wanted to say, and I've said this before, if we really think that the legacy market is impacting the sales of the legal market, we are wrong. I do not believe that no. at all. I don't think the legacy market impacts it. I think what impacts it is that you have entire swaths of groups that are not buying from the weed band and also not buying from the regulated um, dispensaries because it's a schedule one. I think that's a big thing that people kind of overlook there. I, I want to, I want you to think about this. Like I don't have a weed man. I've never had a weed yeah. man. I'm going to go buy an, in a dispensary. That's me, right? That's just me. I'm not saying that, but there's a lot of women like me from all yeah. over across the US, U.S. that want to go in and some have started to go in. You started to see like, you know, different little companies coming up from women and being like, this is a woman thing. But the swath of women, the gender of women have not bought in to cannabis as an alternative for healthcare for, you know, women issues or for other things because they're like, but it's a schedule one. Like it's a schedule yeah. one. You have to do a lot of education for people to understand how it's a schedule one and it's still safe. That's a lot of education, a lot of time and energy. But yeah. imagine if it becomes schedule three, you're gonna see a whole new group of consumers that are now willing to try it. And they're not gonna go to the weed man, they're gonna go to the dispensary. But that means that those dispensaries better be ready yeah. to educate the consumer. Because that's the biggest thing that's a problem when I when I go to different dispensaries. I know my cannabis, but I act like I don't. And they tell me the wildest stuff. I'm like, why would you tell me this? Yeah. Like, I don't even understand. So <laughs> wait, wait, real quick, Christine. Andrew, I know you had a hard stop. Thank you for going beyond um, and, and chatting with us. Um, I see some stuff also now that I'm breaking in the comments. So uh, we'll plug into that real quick. Andrew, thank you again. Um, I'm sure we'll have part two, right? Like as you are one of those people who are digesting this 255 pages um, and we appreciate you. Um, so yeah, we'll be back. Um, people, if y'all, if y'all were appreciative of Andrew's position and his offering, please hit him up, let us know. Um, and we'll be back with Andrew for part two of this conversation. Uh, we'll do some wrap ups with Andrew. Yes. Thank you so much. See you later, babe. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Uh, yes. So that whole swath of women, which you want us because we handle the purchasing for households. Like we're the people who you <laughs> included. You know what I'm saying? Like we dictate the trends. You know, we're the ones who are like, hey, this is we're the ones on the phone with our girlfriends or whoever. We're the ones who actually post and we do reviews and we do all of those things. So great point, Christine. Like you want us. And I think you have that opens the door when it becomes schedule three. I think a lot of people focus on like the schedule one because they don't know they're not in the industry. I think we get kind of, we kind of get, get used to it because we've been in the industry. Like, like how can you not believe yeah. this is safe? How can you not believe this is, but there's a, there's 300 plus million people in this country and the current cannabis industry is a sliver of that. And I do think schedule three allows us to talk and for people to know that it's been changed be like, well, maybe I will try that. Maybe I don't need Ambien. Maybe I could use a, a, a cannabis product for my sleep that's better better for me and, and healthier for me. So that's kind of my thing. So I know we're wrapping up. I want to thank you so much, Frederica, for having me on. I really appreciate that. Uh, of me course, too. Christine, Adam, um, as we wrap up, let me just kind of go into real quick a couple of these comments I'm seeing. 
Um, so we have Sean saying that, like, look, um, Texas has delays, um, especially for expansion of access uh, for medical patients. Look, I feel yeah. like Texas is always a special flower, um, even after it's federally um, uh, descheduled. <laughs> Uh, Texas will probably, you know, come in kicking and screaming. Texas has oil money, so they don't have the same kind of motivation that some of these other states had, especially uh, after COVID, right? Like where coffers were decimated. Um, Sean also stated that the DEA needs to secure a new drug to chase, like fentanyl, um, to ensure uh, continued funding as a federal agency. And so that is a part of her thoughts in terms of... Um, of that in, that enforcement piece that we talked about um, with the DEA. Um, Coleco, what's going on, boo? So we got some comments from Coleco in terms of um, not wanting to have the DEA back or, or supporting if they come out with, um, with uh, the reschedule, uh, supporting the reschedule um, because they've been targeting us for decades, right? Um, also, Coleco saying that we need to legalize the traditional market rather than trying to reinvent the will. Uh, 100%, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely agree with that. And in terms of having their backs, maybe a bad word choice, but I think the thing is this, right? Um, the reality is when people do things and it's not at least acknowledged, then it makes them less likely to do additional things. And so we need the DEA to come out with this schedule three, we need them to pay attention to the science. But what we also need um, is them not, excuse my French, but fucking with people, right? So we also need them to uh, take that theory and bring it into practice and make sure that they are changing internal rules and changing internal uh, guidelines and things of that nature to actually support um, cannabis being moved to a schedule three, we got our boo Melanie saying my medical regimen costs 110,000 plus tax in a regulated market annually. Damn. So that is like more yeah. than what sometimes what's what a lot of people make. Like if we look at um if we look at uh minimum wage versus living wage, um uh, yeah, that's a lot. The six figures is a lot. And so when we're thinking about yes, there's yeah. a cost saving for medical, but when we're thinking about some individuals who um, who may not saying that Melanie does this, but who may still dabble in the legacy space is because that, you know, your insurance provider doesn't recognize this as your medicine. And because of that, you are covering like full cost. And that is the issue. And I think that that kind of circles back to just this plant bringing healing people deserving the healing the focus on pain and how do we relieve pain and how do we not continue to push people to operating on a daily basis with pain as if that's how that shit should be. Um, yeah. Before we get out of here, uh, Adam, I'm going to go to you, babe. You have any closing remarks, thoughts, um, nuggets that you want to give to the people? Well, I just hear in some of those comments, I point out that, uh, you know, I, I hear in some of those comments that we have to go all or nothing uh, still. And and I'm going to be, as a longtime Democratic and progressive activist, I got to say that isn't going to get us to where we need to go. And we need to take steps. I think this is an imperfect step, but let's take it because it's going to help us get to full legalization faster. 
um, than uh, sticking our head in the sand and just hoping that it's going to come. Um, and, and I point this out, um, you know, somebody sitting on their roof, right? The parable and the flood and uh, the modern parable. And uh, he, he or she says, well, God's going to save me. And all of a sudden, you know, the helicopter comes by and says, can I grab you? He goes, no, God's going to come get me. Or that boat comes by and offers to get him and says, no, God's going to save me. And he's in heaven. And he's pissed at God. God says, well, who the hell do you think sent the boat and the helicopter? I think that's what Schedule 3 is. This is just a step along the way. We need to recognize that, uh, and to my friend Coleco, if we just say no thank you, why do we ever think anything good's going to come from us? We're going to build more stakeholders because of this. We're going to build support within the medical community. We're going to build support more and more from the adult or from the adult community, voters. And uh, I'm just happy for that. And I think that Schedule 3 is going to be a big boon, and we should be excited about it. Now let's work hard to get there. Christine. Well, everything, everything Adam said, I, I'm, I'm with that. Also, I just want to add is that for the first time, I think as organizations, advocacy groups, and businesses, we need to engage the consumer to help us do this. We need to really bring all of our, you know, influencers, all of our consumers that are like, you know, use it for medical, use it for recreational. We need to engage the consumer to come with us because it, Invariably, for the last few times, it's been mostly advocacy groups, us, businesses, mm -hmm. you know, but now we need the power of the people. So every single business, engage your consumer base, engage your family, engage your next door neighbor and be like, we need you to show up for this. This is very important. And I think that that will help us get over this hump because I'm with Adam. It's only a stop into descheduling. It's only a stop. And I don't know what's going to happen. We don't can't see the future, but we can prepare for it. Yeah. Um, thank you both. Again, shout out to Andrew for being here. I think my key takeaway is like, look, if you, um, I feel all of us at this point have someone in our life who is battling with pain, um, who has trouble sleeping, um, especially after COVID, who may have anxiety. And so what we're really advocating for here is wellness. We're really advocating for people being able to literally live their best fucking life every day. And even if that's not for you and it's not the way that you choose to get there, don't stop somebody else, right? Don't stop somebody else. And so uh, as always, be blunt and stay blunt at y'all. Till the next time.